Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. Other translations say, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, let's be honest. Most of us have heard this sentence before. We've heard this verse before. And many people could even recite it or some version of it based on how they have you know, run into it through media and people holding up signs and all that stuff. But my question for us today is how many of us really grasp the weight of this sentence, of this verse? How many of us like have experienced the transformational power that is just injected into this verse? And then how many of us live our lives in response to that weight and to that transformation? This verse is one of the most popular scriptures in our culture. Uh, we've seen it used in all sorts of ways, and I have a few pictures to help you jog your memory of ways that you may have come across it. So you may have seen this verse held up at, uh, at football games. Uh, people like to hold signs of it up at sporting events, and that would be one form of evangelism, I guess. Another way that you've seen this is there's this guy. They call him the Rainbow Man, and he goes around to sporting events wearing that shirt and holding up signs about John 3.16. He has become such a cultural phenomenon that Simpsons even integrated him into one of their episodes. <clears throat> Many would say that once you make Simpsons, you have truly made it. So John 3.16, um, kind of a big deal. And then finally, everybody's favorite humble football player, Tim Tebow. This verse became very popular because it was on his eye black stickers and was a form of him professing what was important to him as he engaged in uh, competition on the field. Now, when I say that this one sentence can change your life, then we should like celebrate the popularity of it, right? Like, yeah, that's right. That sentence can, can change your life. So like, praise God that it's in all these places. As odd as the setting might sometimes be, like, that, that should be something that is celebrated. And if people ask me, like, hey, isn't that great news that people are willing to wear it on their eyes and hold signs up at sporting events and all that, I would say yes, but. There's always a tension, right? I would say yes, but. Because when a scripture is cited in pop culture without context or the heart of it, it all too often falls upon deaf ears, doesn't it? How often does, de does impactful, profound messages and verses and things fall upon deaf ears because it doesn't involve relationship and heart and context. Or maybe the hearts that are seeing it aren't willing to receive it. Now, I believe God can and will use all things. Amen. He will use all things. And anytime someone sees this scripture and happens to look it up, I believe that's a win. Absolutely. But I also believe that the gospel is a message that is meant to be shared, that is meant to be spread in the context of relationship. Which is why God sent Jesus to the earth to preach the coming kingdom of God and to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, being our example for how we should live in this world and engage in healthy relationships. Therefore, I'd be concerned about the potency 
of a gospel being thrown out on signs and eye black strips rather than being transmitted through the context of a meaningful relationship. So is that awesome if somebody sees that and they're like, they look it up and they're like, oh my gosh, that's profound. Like, yes, that's awesome. But let's be honest, how many people that see that are looking it up and be like, oh, let me study that and see what that means for me in my life. So there's something about the context of relationship with a person who has been transformed by the power and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I would like to dive into this verse to understand it more deeply and see what it means that we are engaging in these Advent themes and this week's being love. What does this verse actually mean for us? The fact that God shows us how truly loved we are. How truly loved we are. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into four specific things that I believe we need to know with absolute certainty so that we can walk them out about John three sixteen. So God, I thank you for this morning. I pray that the words that I speak today would be from you by the power of your Holy Spirit, and they would not just be my words, and God, would they fall upon hearts, ears, and minds that are open to receive amazing news that applies to every single one of us. So we thank you for that, and we trust you at this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we process through these four takeaways from our verse today, I would implore you to listen through a lens, not just of how can I learn about this and store away some really cool information, but I would ask you to listen uh, to take a step further. I pray that two specific things would happen from this message today. One, I pray that you would be compelled to live your life in a manner that reflects these truths in all areas of your life. That this would transform your life, change your life, that you would live out of this truth. And second, if you have not already, I pray that these truths would lead you to make a decision to fully rely on Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's my goals here today. We'll just get them out right away and we'll pray and trust that God would do something miraculous through this time. So the first thing that we see that we really need to like wrap our minds around in John 3.16 is that God loved, like he loved. And in a world that paints Christians and God as some punitive judge over all things moral that just likes to tell people where they should go based on following his rules, we need to start with the foundational truth that God is love. And he so loved the world because God himself is love. The essence of God is love. There isn't anything but love that can come out of God. Well, what about these stories in the Bible? Yeah, but we could get into theological conversations about how those all are, are all motivated by love, how they stem out of love. In fact, 1 John 4, 7 through 10 says this. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins foundational in the good news that we are going through today in this verse is that God is love and he first loved us. He loved, it's not about can we love him enough? We view this entire thing through the lens of God's foundational love, that that is who he is 
And that's who we engage with. The second thing is that he loved something specific we see here. He loved something specific. It says, for God so loved the the world. The world. Now, does that mean like, oh, he's really a fan of the globe. He just loves earth. All the layers and all the geology and like, oh, he just, he loves science. Like, yeah, absolutely. He created it. He loves it. But it's not minimized to that. Like, God so loves the world means that he loves you and he loves me. And he loves everybody. He loves everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. He loves you. How do we wrap our minds around that, right? Like a God who loves everybody. I was scared when we were having our third child. I was like, how am I going to have the capacity to love anymore? Like I already got these two kids. I love them so much. How am I going to love a third child? And then along came Brindley. I was like, oh. Yep, I can love a third child. There is something that God just does in us to expand how we can love and as he brings relationships into our life. So if we serve and follow a God who can do that in that little minute scale in our family units, who's to say that he who is love cannot love everybody? He busts out the boxes in any categorical understanding of what love is because he is the beholder of all things love. You can have any color of skin, any socioeconomic status, any political leaning, hopefully more towards the center than either end, and God still loves you. It's a joke. He loves everybody, okay? He loves everybody. There is nothing that can disqualify you from his love. Any age, any background, any history, any sin or wrongdoing in your past, he still loves you. He still loves you. It doesn't matter what you looked on, looked at on your technology last night. It doesn't matter what you or your wife or kids got into on the way here. It doesn't matter any disputes you're having with family through the holidays or anything else going on. God loves you in the midst of all that stuff. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. No matter who you are and what you've done, God who is love loves each of you individually. He loves each of us. And the scripture tells us that he loves us with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Now, why is that important that God loves us with an everlasting love? I believe because outside of a faith paradigm and acknowledging that We have a creator who is love and loves us. We have no category for an everlasting, unfailing love. I don't care how close you are with your friends, your parents, your significant other, your spouse, whoever it is, there is no such thing in the human paradigm as an unfailing love. You can take the most loving person in this room. You can take the most loving person in this city, and at some point they're going to let somebody they love down because we're imperfect. And to think of a God who in essence is love and loves us with an everlasting, unfailing love, hopefully is mind-blowing to you. Hopefully you're like, I just can't fathom that. Yeah, you shouldn't be able to because we don't have a box for that in the way in which we view love and relate to one another. We cannot find this kind of love outside of it being from a loving God. There's no other source for it. As you may try because your heart needs it, 
right? We all have this need for that, and we search for it in all these places and interactions and people and successes. But none of those will satisfy our God-given need to have significant, unfailing, everlasting love in our lives that can only come from him. The third thing is that he loved to the point of sacrifice. That's almost like a bad word today, sacrifice, right? Like, oh, you mean this is going to cost me something? <laughs> like, people, it's uncomfortable to talk about this. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8 says this. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still separated from him, his enemies, he died for us. Now, as I pondered this and what this might look like in, in our relationships today, oftentimes a measure of someone's relationship with another will produce phrases like the following. And some of these you may have said or heard people say in your life. Sometimes somebody's like, oh yeah, they're good people. I'd have their back in a fight. Yeah, I, I got their back in a fight, right? Or yeah, I, I'd bail them out of jail. Or, you know, if anything ever happened to them, I'd raise their kids. It's like this statement of your closeness to them or how much you care about them. Or I've heard this one before. Somebody says, well, if they hit hard times, I'd make sure that they were taken care of. We'd take them in. We'd make sure that, that they were cared for. Or I'd jump in front of a car for them, right? Every love song, especially country music, say something like that. Or Bruno Mars, he'll jump on a grenade for you, I guess. <clears throat> And kind of the ultimate statement of relational care, proximity, and affection would be like, I would totally take a bullet for them. You guys may have heard that. You may have said that, right? Like this statement of, I am so close to you. I love you so much. I'd take a bullet for you. You may have said that if you're like me. Or maybe you've just had other people say that and you've heard that. We often equate closeness or value of relationship to the level of sacrifice that we're willing to make for another person. You guys get this concept, right? Like, we think that, oh, I'm very close because I'm willing to pay a high price for them on their behalf. And this Romans verse tells us that, like, you know, people will die for someone that's a good person, but who would dare to die for somebody that's, like, ungodly, that's, in, that's not in their good graces, but we need to realize that Christ died for the ungodly. And why is that important to us? Because categorically, that means he died for us. Each of us. As much as we might be good people and we have great days and we have some less than great days, at the end of the day, we are all infected with this condition of sin that separates us from our creator. And this good news says, nah, Christ died for you. In the midst of that, not once you figured out how to get out of it. Praise God for that truth. Amen. Who on earth would ever say, you know what? I'd take a bullet for Saddam Hussein. I'd, I'd jump in front of a car for, for Hitler. Who on earth would say, I would totally give my life for my enemy? Like I see chuckles even behind your mask. They don't hide those very well, right? Because you whole body chuckle. 
Who would say that? That they would give their life for their enemy. Someone that, who was living in a way that was opposing them. That was offensive to them. Who would ever say that? We can self-righteously say, I'd totally take a bullet for my family. If anything ever was about to happen to anybody in this room, like, absolutely. I wouldn't think twice But Jesus Christ took a cross for his enemies. Let that sink in. Jesus gave his life for enemies, not for his closest friends. Like, we might understand that. But, like, the polar opposite of that. He gave his life for them. He loved to a point of sacrificing his life to set those free who lived in a way that did not reflect his values, priorities, or his heart. They didn't reflect, we don't oftentimes reflect his values, priorities, or his heart. But he said, you know what? While you're living that way, I'm going to die for you so you can be set free from that. Not so you can figure it out and come to me, but so I can set you free. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is coming from Paul. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And the fourth thing that we see wrapped up in this John 3.16 is that he loved for a purpose. He loved, he loved someone, something, a specific thing. He loved to the point of sacrificing And he loved for a purpose. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in or through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this is not some flippant or intermittent kind of love that he has for us. This is a long-lasting, enduring, long-suffering like eternal kind of love. This is the kind of love that walks through stuff with you. This is the kind of love that doesn't just sit on the side and say, hey, when you get done going through that, I'll be over here if you want to talk. This is the kind of love that is in the trenches, in the lowest of lows, when you're on your knees in tears because your heart is broken and you think your life will never be the same. He meets you in those places. This is the kind of love that isn't scared or like off-put to getting dirty, getting his hands dirty, to being in those times, in those moments from you. Actually, the word says it's in those moments that his strength is perfected. When you are weak, he is perfect. He is in those moments with you. And I would say today that the purpose of his love is summed up with an opportunity to respond to it. It's summed up with an opportunity to respond to it. When somebody tells us or shows us how much they love us. It's really awkward if you don't respond, isn't it? God has showed us in the most clear, most compelling, most overwhelming, most hopeful way that he loves us. He loves his people, and it warrants a response. I don't know how many of you have watched kids open gifts at Christmas 
But every year, I'm like, I should have just got them boxes. <laughs> Buck 98, large box, Home Depot, throw some paper and a bow on it, and it would have saved me a lot of money. It is just amazing to me how fascinated kids can be in their immaturity with what the gift comes in instead of the gift itself. You following me here? You can get the coolest gift, and as a parent, you're like, I can't wait for them to open that. They're going to love it so much, I just can't wait. And then they open it, they're like, I love this box. And you're like, Having expectations of how your children will receive gifts is one of the most letting down things you can do. <clears throat> are you more enthralled with the box that contains the gift God gave you in his love than you are the actual gift? Have you made a choice to receive the gift and not just leave it sitting over there? Oh, yeah, cool gift. And playing with the box, engaging whatever the world gives you. Like, where are you at if you want to take an honest assessment of how you're doing with this? Is the box just the world and the creation? You're like, gosh, I just, I just love going out and there's so much to do, so much adventure. I mean, look where we live. It's beautiful. I just, I go hike and I see these mountains and lakes and the way that this world's created. I'm like, I love creation. But you haven't received the gift from the creator. Do you come to church or engage in community and you're around God's people and you're like, this is awesome. I love it. I love the box that this gospel truth that this gift is contained in, but I haven't received the gift. I haven't responded to the love and the good news and the gift of God. I pray that our church will not be more enthralled with the box, the community, the world, the creation, all the things that come along with the gift, but that we would understand what the gift is and we would respond to it. That we would live a life that indicates we have responded to and been transformed by the greatest gift that humankind has ever received. I pray that we could live in a way that doesn't cheapen the gift and minimize it to the packaging that we see it come in, but that we would respond to the transformative power that is contained within it. And just to make sure that I'm being clear, I want to unpack what this gift specifically is here today. What specifically is this gift, this gospel gift that God so loved the world that he gave it to us, eternal life so that we should not perish through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God's love for humanity in this gift is summed up in something that we call the gospel and the gospel tells us in Romans 3.10 that there is no one righteous, not even one. It means none of us have, can, or will live a perfect life. None of us have, can, or will. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are not qualified or capable of leading our own lives. And that's a bit of a gut punch to some of us in here. Like, well, yeah, yeah, I get good grades, I'm good people, I have good friends, I give good gifts, look under my Christmas tree, just wait and see, like, we think that we, we got this thing down, but none of us are free of sin, the toxicity of that condition of sin that has entered the world, that has separated us from our creator, from God. We all have this sickness, no one is void of it, 
and no one can find their own way out from the consequences of sin. In Romans 6.23, the first part of it says, For the wages of sin is death. So this sin, if left to its own devices, will have an endpoint, and that will be the death of those who are infected with this virus of sin. That's where it leads. There's no side roads. There's no alternate endings. If sin is left to run its course, it leads to death. But we have good news because God loves us. And this is where the story gets real fun. Romans 5, 8, and 9, we read 8 earlier, but let's see where it goes from there. But God so demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, we've been made in right standing as we receive this gift, as we repent from living our own lives of selfishness and turn towards following him as our Lord and Savior. We've been justified by the blood that was shed on the cross. So how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, through Jesus? We can be saved from this condition of sin, and it's called salvation, which leads to eternal life with our creator. And it's available to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. And then Romans 6.23, the second half of it says, But the gift of God is eternal life in or through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift, but you got to ask for it. you got to receive it. you got to respond to this gift. And then Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved from that condition of sin. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith, and are saved. Like any gift, it has to be received. It requires a response. And then Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone, say everyone, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God loves you. He knows you. He knows what you have done, how you have lived in ways that do not please him or bring him honor. And he still loves you with an unfailing, everlasting love. He gives you this gift of salvation, of being a, a, a member of his kingdom, of following him as your Lord and Savior. But family, this requires a response this isn't something that we passively sit on the sidelines and watch other people engage in. This story and this gift is for each of us individually. It is not a spectator sport, if you will. This is something that requires a response. So as the worship team comes up, except for me, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to receive this gift here this morning. As I was preparing this message, I just felt like the Lord impressed it upon my heart. He said, Chris, there are going to be people in the seats in this church service on Sunday that have grown far from me, that have shame and have guilt because they think they've just strayed too far along and they want to knock on the door and they're trying to come back in, but there's just something keeping them from it. And God said, I pray, I just wish that they would receive the gift I've given them. 
I wish they would respond. And family, today, I plead with you, if you have not responded to this gift of salvation, this good news, would you respond? Would you allow it to impact your life, to work through you, and actually pour into all the areas that God leads you? So many people today try to paint this good news of being like, a part of a Jesus-following community of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is something that's restrictive. And I just tell you that that's not true. It is the most freeing, liberating citizenship that you can have is to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, to be an adopted son or daughter in his family. But you got to respond. you got to receive it. So if you're at that place today and you're like, I don't, I don't know if I've actually ever meaningfully responded to this outside of it being my parents' faith or someone else pressuring me into it, or this is new, amazing news, and I don't know what it's going to look like, but I want to walk this out. Like, I want to respond. I want to live in this kingdom. I want to live following Jesus with everything that I am and with all that I know how in the context of meaningful relationships and people that will disciple me and help me do this. This is your chance to respond. Or maybe you've responded before, but it seems like it's far off in the distance. And God's saying, today is the time. This is the moment. Wait no more. I am here knocking. Come through the door. Receive this gift. Receive my love again. So if any of those scenarios resonate with you, if any of those are seats or circumstances that you're sitting in, I'm going to ask everyone to just close their eyes as we pray. With your heads down, no peeking. I believe this is a holy moment where God says, hey, I want my kids to respond to me. I want my kids to know they are loved. I want them to receive this gift of eternal life. So much so that I gave my son so that it could be so. So if that's you, as all heads are bowed, I'm just going to ask that you would raise your hand. Not like the, you know, in front of your chest, no one can see it. Like elbow above your head, raise your hand, saying, God, I'm responding to your good news. I am receiving your gift today. No longer do I want to try to live a life of self-governance and figuring it out on my own, but I'm submitting to you. If that's you today, guys, I just pray that you'd raise your hand and receive this gift. God, I thank you for each person in this room. Father, I specifically right now thank you for every hand raised. Father, would you make yourselves known to them in a new and fresh way today, God? Would you help them to repent, meaning turn away from any ways that don't bring honor or glory to you and chase after you and your family and your community? God, would you help them to, with all that they know how, to give their lives submitted fully to you so that you can bring them freedom in liberation from this condition of sin that is all around us. God, we thank you for bringing more people into your family this morning. We thank you for the raised hands, and God, I thank you for the few hands that aren't raised that you're stirring in their hearts here this morning, God. We praise you for that. We pray that your Holy Spirit would continue the work that has started here this morning and that lives would be transformed by your power and your gift. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. If you raise your hand or responded any way this morning, in case you can come on up, I just ask that you fill out one of those connect cards stating that. Drop it in the box before you leave so I can connect with you this week. We can have a conversation and see what it looks like moving forward. But Casey's going to wrap us up while I get ready to close in worship.
Can we just put our hands together and celebrate the Lord? His love is real. And it's so much better than the other things in our life that we so often entrust. This place that only he's supposed to have in our life. Relationships. Our careers. Sin patterns. There's so many different things in our life that we are too quick to give a sense of authority and purpose in our life that don't deserve it. I'm praising God this morning for the hands that were raised. I just want to pray for us one more time as we go into a final song of worship here. Maybe for some of us that have known this for a long time, maybe you don't feel like super far off from this truth. Maybe it's just something that needs a little bit of freshness in your heart. Just needs a little bit of awakening, a little bit of a gut check to be like, oh yeah, that's what I believe. And that's really good news. I just want to pray too that this final song would just be a moment of joy. A triumphant song that we sing together as we reflect and remember how great our God is. Lord, I thank you for all of the hearts in this place. Whether we've been following Jesus now for a few seconds, for a few years, or for many more, God, we just praise you that your love is alive and active. Thank you, God, for the ways that you've moved today. And Lord, we pray right now that as we conclude in this worship song, God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, there would be something that awakens within each of us. A love that just doesn't just stay within us, but grows and grows and it overflows to the lives of those around us. God, would you fill us with a contagious love that impacts the world around us. We're hungry and desperate for a fresh encounter and revelation of your love this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close in worship?